This week's episode is sponsored by Spaces. Spaces is a new platform backed by 15 plus years of educator feedback designed to document the process and progress behind student learning in your classroom. Join the Spaces community to connect with educators across North America and gain access to free teacher-created resources, help educators who are just starting out on their journey, and learn new things from teachers who have been there before. So visit community.spacesedu.com today. Uh, is this the teacher hotline? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Hotline. My name is Ronald Hay, where we try to answer some of the most pressing questions for teachers in and outside of the classroom. Today, we have Darren from the Toronto District School Board. Darren, how can we help you today? Hey, Ron, I'm a new teacher, and I understand the whole contract negotiations part of the union. But besides that, what other services does our union provide? Like, what are my union dues paying for? Also, do teachers have to be a part of the union? And do you think it's even needed for an effective educational system? Love the podcast, man. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much, Darren. All great questions. I know unions can be a very divisive topic in any industry, and you only really hear about them when there are disputes on the news. I also work in the independent school system myself, so for full transparency, I am not unionized. So I am also curious to learn more about the teachers' union, just like the rest of you. So today, I bring in Chris Cowley, the 78th president of the Ontario Teachers Federation. In his role as president, him and his organization is responsible for advocating for all 160,000 Ontario teachers at publicly funded schools. And previous to this role... Chris was a teacher at St. John's College in Brantford, teaching Canadian and World Studies and Religious Studies. He was also involved with his school's athletic teams, especially coaching the school's baseball team, and was also heavily involved with student council. Chris received his bachelor's, B.Ed., and M.Ed., all from Western University. Chris, welcome to the show. Ronald, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I did not know that uh, you were also teaching before this until I was doing a little bit of uh, Googling. I always thought these people that were presidents of these organizations was someone from politics. So it's kind of nice to see that uh, we're being represented by someone that has actually been in the classroom before. Yeah, I was in the classroom up until last year, actually. And I was doing the online thing, you know, back and forth between in-person and, and virtual learning. I know how stressful it can be. And, and um, I am released for the year to do this role and, um, you know, back to the classroom next year. So it's, uh, it's a great experience. This is actually my second term uh, doing this. I, I was president four years ago as well. And it's a, it's a great honor and a great opportunity to, to meet teachers and to uh, really try to affect, have a positive impact on, on teaching in Ontario. That's actually interesting. I actually didn't also know that uh, this role is uh, it's it keeps constantly changing. And I, I think I I found a list on the website that every single year there is a brand new president. Uh, why do you think that is? I, I would imagine that this role there's a steep learning curve. So why the constant turnover? There is a steep learning curve for sure, but we have great staff here that uh, you know bring 
new presidents up to speed, but really it's just a result of our history, actually. We, we're comprised of four affiliate unions, as you know. There's four unions in Ontario. There's the uh, French Teachers Union, AEFO is their acronym. There's the Secondary School Teachers Federation, OSSTF. There's the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association, OECTA, that's my union. And there's the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, which is uh, EDFO. And uh, those are the four. So OTF is really the umbrella organization that represents all four unions in certain ways. But each of those unions elects at their annual general meeting what's called an OTF table officer. And every year, um, just as part of our bylaws, part of our traditions, is that uh, the, the table officer from each of those unions serves as president of the Ontario Teachers Federation. So this year was OECTA, and uh, I am in that position. I was elected uh, at our, our annual meeting, and, and here I am. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So I have to ask you, if you were in an elevator and someone asked you, what does your role entail? And what does Ontario Teachers Federation, what does this organization actually do? What would you tell that person? It's a great question. I mean, what I would do in an elevator, it depends how long the elevator ride is, number one. But number two, uh, I would probably say that we are the professional voice of teachers in Ontario. And what we do is we advocate on a number of issues, whether it's professional development, whether it's issues around the College of Teachers, whether it's uh, issues surrounding, you know, just, you know, political action, that sort of thing, uh, and especially the pension plan. One of the main reasons that we exist as an organization is to be the teacher voice uh, through the pension plan. I remember listening to your episode with uh, the gentleman from Ontario Teachers, and, um, you know, it was a very informative, and, and that's, you know, we're part of that pension partnership, as they say. You've got the, the employer side, which is the government, and you've got the employee side, which is the teachers. And so we're, uh, we're the teacher's voice on the on the pension plan. Awesome. We're definitely gonna get to the pension in just a moment. Yep. Uh, but there's lots of things I want to talk about. Um, because there are, I think when you think about the teachers union, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is labor negotiations. And I want to address that right out the gate, because I think that's when you think about unions, you think about negotiations, because that's all you really see in the news. So I want to get straight to that. And I guess while I was going through some of my own personal research, because I set out the gate, I'm not unionized, I'm still kind of learning how some of this stuff works. I didn't realize that the Ontario Teachers Federation doesn't actually participate in the actual collective bargaining negotiations. Instead, it's the affiliates that actually handles the negotiations. Am I correct in understanding that? That's absolutely true. So, you know, our, our affiliate organizations exclusively handle collective bargaining. You know, they, they have collective bargaining departments that are filled with experts and have a tremendous amount of expertise um, with regards to collective bargaining and the collective bargaining process. So uh, in, in terms of that department, I guess, or that area, uh, OTF kind of stays out of that and we're, fine, we're totally fine with that. But uh, the reason why is because, you know, we have four teacher unions and each of those unions is, a, it, you know, represents a unique part of our education system. So, you know, Ontario's got such a deep history in education and education history where, you know, and we have four unions. So the, the unions kind of really hone in on the, the real specifics that their membership cares about and that their membership wants to bring forward at the, at the bargaining table. So that's, uh, that's their goal. That totally makes more sense. I'm not gonna lie. Like I said, because I'm not unionized every time I see a, you know, a contract dispute, I'm always so curious. like, why is the name of this union different than the one I heard about the last time it was on the news? It just threw me off. And I'm just learning about this all in the last week or so. 
Yeah, it, it's true. You know, I mean, as you your listeners probably know, Ontario education is an alphabet suit of soup of acronyms. So you have to really you have to really be part of it to to once you get the hang of it, you you know, and it comes very easily. But to the average person, you're right that just watches on the news. It can be certainly confusing. So when labor negotiations do happen, and I if I vaguely remember, I remember before COVID even hit. There was um, a negotiation against one of the unions with uh, with the government. Does OTF play a, a role in that in the background in terms of supporting teachers during that negotiation? Like, do they come to you guys with, you know, I guess for consultation or are you guys like, you know what, leave me out of this. This is your your fight to, to battle. And we're just here in the background. Like, how does that work? Where does your role step in there? We're certainly... For sure. We're certainly there to support wherever we can. We don't get involved in the nitty gritty collective bargaining uh, issues. But let's say if, if there is an issue regarding, um, you know, if there's research that we can conduct that might be of uh, use at the bargaining table, whether it's research on class size, whether it's research on virtual learning, whether it's any kind of support that we can provide, uh, we'll, we're happy to do that. But, you know, our affiliates are very independent when it comes to collective bargaining. They have their own um, you know, their own issues, their own agenda, and their own executive that, that really sets the uh, sets the course uh, on behalf of their membership. Now, I know this is going to be a tough question to, to answer. So feel free to give me a, a high level answer here. But in your role, because you were you were a teacher before this, and now in your role as, as president, mm-hmm. um, you know, what do you think, you know, being, you know, the voice of, of teachers here, what do you think public school teachers, if you were to boil it down to three things, what do you think they care about the most? Is it pay? Is it benefits? Is it, you know, lunch breaks? Uh, you know, you hear about a lot of this stuff going on in the news and, you know, back and forth with the ministry. Simply put, what do teachers care about? Well, I mean, teachers care about their students. I mean, that's that's number one. They want to make sure that the they, they their students and their classrooms and, and, and themselves have the tools that they need to effectively do their job. And that's that's really what it boils down to. Uh, every union, though, we talked about each union does their own collective bargaining. Every union, you know, they unions are very grassroots. So they they survey their members to see, well, what are the issues that are important this round? It might be very different from last round because, you know, I mean, look at the difference between, you know, a couple of years ago and now. It's a whole different ballgame in terms of uh, with COVID and with virtual learning and everything else that's been going on and all those issues. Uh, So, you know, they always want to ask their membership, tell us what is important to you, and we will bring that forward uh, at the bargaining table. So really, it can always change and every union can have different issues. But certainly at the end of the day, uh, teachers want to feel respected in the bargaining process and teachers also want what's best for their students. And what's best for their students is a well-funded and and effective public education system. And that's what... uh, you know, that's what we strive for, a publicly funded education system that can serve every student and meet the needs of every student because every student is unique and every classroom yeah. is different. Now, even though I, I've been working in the independent school system for about eight, nine years now, I grew up in the, the public system myself, so I can appreciate uh, the work that public school teachers do and, uh, and the importance of it um, because, heck, it's I wouldn't be the person I am today without public school education. So, Well, I mean, whether whether it's public or, or private, I mean, the the... Some of the issues are different. Some of the issues are the same, but uh, you know the, the the goal is always the same, which is uh, providing students uh, a quality education. I want to go back to one of the callers' immediate question, which was, 
Do you have to be a part of the union? That, that's almost like a silly question. I feel like it should be an obvious answer, but I, I actually don't know myself. Do you have to be a part of the union? Yeah, I mean, just like anywhere in, anywhere in Canada, uh, if you're a uh, teacher in a publicly funded school in Ontario, you are automatically part of one of our affiliates. So, for example, for me, I teach in a secondary school in the Catholic system. I'm automatically a member of the Catholic teachers, OECTA. And, uh, you know, what that does is it allows, you know, the union to effectively represent their members. It allows them to effectively bargain on behalf of everyone in the school. And it, it, it really gives everybody uh, kind of a, an equal voice uh, with regards to whether it's uh, negotiating, whether it's, um, you know, professional development, whether it's other issues uh, in, in the system. Um, so having everybody uh, part of the same team kind of working towards the same goal is really essential. And it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to have um, in, in schools and in, in Ontario as a whole. Now, I can't really speak to this myself because I've never been part of the union. But, you know, when I speak to some of my colleagues who are in the public sector, I, I find it very, you, you never hear, you know, uh, the same thing, right? Some people are really for the union. They think it's fantastic. And other people will say, ah, you know what, I, I don't really need a union. I, you know, I kind of wish that I could just put that money in my own pocket. Um, so for the, all the people that are listening out there, what would you say is probably the biggest misconception that the public has, or maybe even teachers might have, about being a part of the union? Probably, I would say that it's it's, it's top down, when really it's reversed. It's bottom up. You know, the union is teachers, and teachers are their union, and they elect their leadership both locally and provincially. And if they disagree with the direction that the union is taking, they change the leadership, and the direction changes. But you know, uh, you know, sometimes you get this. The sense that oh you know the, we're directing teachers what to do or unions direct teachers what to do, it's actually the opposite. The the, the membership directs us what to do, and I hear from members all the time about uh, you know one issue or the other, and that's and that's what the process is all about. So it's very grassroots in that way. So I'd say that's probably the biggest misconception out there. And you know in terms of membership, you have 160,000 members. You've got members from every walk of life. Um, you know there's going to be some who are very involved, some who are somewhat involved, and some who aren't very involved at all. And that's okay. What we want them to do, though, is, you know, we want them to be involved. And if they want to get involved, there's a lot of ways to do that. I'm sure we'll get into it maybe later in the in the interview. But, um, you know, the, the at the end of the day, unions represent teachers. And, you know, whether they choose to engage or not in their union in a certain year, that's fine, but um, you know we're there when they need them, and that's and that's really the bottom line. I was talking to one of my other teacher friends in the the public system, and like I said, you know it can be a very unions can be a very divisive topic. Like I said, people either are for union or against union. Sometimes you get the people in the middle that are kind of indifferent. Uh, but I find that the people on you know opposite ends, those are the ones that are usually you know passionate about it, about their beliefs. And one thing that commonly comes up is people always say, you know, I guess people question the value of, of unions. Uh, like for example, in, you know, teachers in private schools, like we said, you know, we're not unionized and public school teachers, some of them might say, well, you know, private school teachers, they really receive similar compensation levels and, and benefits as their unionized counterparts. So people question, like, is union kind of an outdated concept? Is is it even necessary to have unions 2022 and, and onwards? Because uh, some people that are against unions might actually argue that it could be detrimental to students 
you know, through, you know, labor disruptions or going on strikes to those people that make those type of comments, what would you say? Lots of unpacking that question. I mean, you know, what we're seeing, especially in the past few years is, you know, the, the uh, unionization rate in, in the United States and even in Canada is, is inching back up because workers feel like they do need a voice. But that's in general. You want to talk about education. You know, there's a lot of clear research that says that, you know, those jurisdictions, those countries that have a strong union membership, that have a strong teacher federation, you know, the outcomes, student outcomes are better. Uh, student achievement is higher. And they, their education system is stronger. You look at Nord, Nordic countries, for example, where, you know, unions are very strong. Nordic countries, uh, you know, regularly rank uh, among the top in terms of PISA scores and other uh, standardized tests. So, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of things to, to say about that. But, you know, there's an old saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you want to talk about public school teachers versus independent school teachers or private school teachers, you know, generations of teachers have fought, including my parents, you know, they've, they've fought for the better working conditions, better salary benefits, but it's not always about, uh, you know, it's not always about money. It's, it's about feeling respected. It's about feeling like they have a, they can, uh, you know, have a say in how they deliver their pedagogy, how they deliver their teaching. And, you know, when a teacher feels respected, you know, schools function better, uh, education systems function better. And when that happens, it's inevitable that students uh, do better. So we wanna make sure that, um, you know, teachers feel respected in the process. And like I said, you know, look at the pension plan, for example, there's a lot of independent schools in Ontario who use our pen, who wanna be part of the pension plan and they use that as a recruiting tool, right? So they say, hey, come and come and work for us. And we're, we're a member of teacher's pension, just like any other uh, publicly funded school. So, and that's fine, but those things don't just happen. They happen because teachers, you know, choose to, you know, say this is a priority for us. Retirement security is a priority, um, you know, uh, and those sorts of things. And, and they they make it happen. And that's that's what's happened over generations. And we want to maintain that and, and, and make sure that every teacher feels respected and feels uh, like their their role is is uh, worthwhile. And that's 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 important. Uh, switching topics for a moment to be a little bit more, I guess, uh, in the moment to what's going on in the news. Um, I, I noticed that you you posted a tweet. I, I saw this somewhere else as well, and uh, from um, from another website. I think this was an article on CBC that right now there is a, a large teacher shortage in Ontario. And I think the article by CBC that was posted was Ontario teacher shortage. Why is it taking so long to certify new ones? And you go through the article and you, you know, you hear this uh, one teacher, Catherine McDonald, uh, saying how it's just taking so long to, to get certified right now after graduating from her teacher education program. Um, and I think one of the affiliates of the, the union, I think the OSSTF, uh, the president was saying that right now, a lot of unqualified teachers are in the classroom just to kind of fill the gap to make sure that there are adults in the room which is kind of a little bit backwards thinking, right? Because you need teachers, but we can't get them certified quick enough to be in the classroom. So what's kind of your understanding of this current situation right now with this backlog of, with OCT? Because I know you were saying that we have this relationship with OCT. Is it understandable yep. that this is happening? Is it acceptable that this is happening because of the pandemic? And is there anything that you guys, OTF, can do? Or is this... Out of your control. Well, I mean, uh, you know, there, 
the Ontario College of Teachers is funded by the by the the fees that teachers pay, and they bring in tens of millions of dollars every year. And you know, it's really disappointing that they've fallen so far behind, regardless of the circumstances. Teachers should not have to wait months and months just to get a piece of paper that says, "Okay, you're certified to teach in the province of Ontario." They expect better service. I think for the money that they pay, they should they should expect better service. And it's unfortunate that the college has fallen behind. And it's, uh, you know, we are dealing with it. We've been in communication. I've talked to the registrar of the college and he's, you know, back in October and he committed to rectifying this issue by now. It's still not fixed. And the college, uh, sadly, I think has gone through, you know, I think they've gone through some uh, staffing issues, a lot of, a lot of turnover and um, they're dealing with that. But, you know, in the meantime, teachers are falling through the cracks. They want to teach. The Minister of Education has, has made it a priority to try to get as many teachers in the classroom as, as quickly as we can. And we have the regulator that is kind of gumming everything up. So, um, you know, I've, I, we're, we're hopefully going to meet with them soon and, and talk about these issues. But certainly the backlog is unacceptable and it needs to be fixed. So who's filling in the gaps right now? Like, you know, in, in the article, it just says unqualified people. I don't know what that means. Like, is it just, you know, parents from from, you know, Joe Schmo's house coming in? Is it retired teachers? Well, it could be it could be, you know, theoretically, it could be those teachers that are waiting to be certified. They can still go in unqualified. They would be considered unqualified until they get their certification. But that has financial implications to them as well, which, again, it, it leads to that fairness issue. Right. So but unqualified could mean those people waiting to be certified. It could mean unqualified individuals who are just from the community for sure that uh, that they need. Um, but we want qualified teachers in the classroom, and we think that's that's uh, you know a priority for any education system. And, you know, we need a government to really take a look at this issue long term, not just the short term of trying to get teachers, uh, you know, for, uh, for for staffing issues today, but long term into the future. So we don't run yeah. into this issue. And for reference, for all the listeners out there, I think OCT quoted that on average, it should take about 120 days to uh, process your applications, if my memory serves correct. Uh, but it seems like it's a little bit longer than that right now in the moment. Six, five, six, eight months. I mean, that's that's too long. Um, another thing I want to talk about related to your relationship with OCT as well um, is teacher discipline. Um, and again, I know this is probably out of your realm of uh, you know of what the OTF actually participates in, but I, I want to put this out there particularly because I know this is a, a, a very popular topic. And a popular sentiment that always comes up is that people say, oh, the teachers union protects teachers that shouldn't be in the classroom. And in fact, that's actually one of the main reasons when I talk to incoming teachers and I say, hey, come check out the independent school system, come work at Appleby College, come work at blah, 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 blah. And people say, yeah, you know, I, I'm not really interested in independent schools or private schools. You know, I, I think public schools are safer because we're unionized and we're, we're protected. Uh, and you even hear about, you know, certain teachers that maybe are past their expiry date that shouldn't be in the classroom anymore, but schools can't get rid of them. So this seems to be a popular sentiment that the union protects people that perhaps shouldn't be sticking around anymore. When you hear that from either colleagues or friends that outside of the industry, what's your reaction and first thoughts when you hear a statement like that. Well, I think with any job, you're going to find <clears throat> that, you know, th there, there could be an issue that arises. 
and teachers and teaching is no different, but there's a process to deal with that. And, and you know, there's what's called teacher performance appraisals, and those are new teachers go through them, uh, experienced teachers go through them. And, you know, if there are issues, they can be addressed through the teacher performance appraisal or TPA process. And hopefully it gets, you know, gets corrected there. If there is a situation where there's a disciplinary, um, uh, you know, let's say disciplinary situation, I guess would be the word. Uh, even though OTF doesn't deal with that, it's our affiliates that deal with that. You know, we want to make sure the process is fair. And that's really what it's all about. So, you know, if, if in every situation, just like the legal system, every situation is unique. Uh, so I'm not going to get into too much, you know, specific detail. But, you know, fairness is key. And, it, and don't forget, unions have a, a duty to represent their members. So, you know, if something does come up, and it's a very minute amount of time that this would happen, but if something does come up, then, you know, um, you know, it, they would contact their local and the process would get underway. So, but the, the main thing is, I mean, that we have to remember is that teachers are highly trained professionals. They, you know, care about what they do and whether they're, they've been teaching for five weeks or teaching for 25 years, um, you know, they bring a, a level of experience and a level of dedication to the to the profession. I think that should be, um, you know, that should be lauded. And 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 if if something comes up where there is a pedagogical issue, the teacher performance appraisal would be the the place to do that. So there's a process in place. The principal is the one who administers the teacher performance appraisal uh, situation, the principal or vice principal, and uh, the process goes from there. But the, the main thing that we want to make sure is that everybody's treated fairly and that there's a there's a fairness that comes out of the process. Offline, you're telling me about the, you know, you guys have this relationship with OCT, you guys work hand in hand with each other. And well, we don't uh, work hand in hand, I wouldn't say that. I mean, it's, you know, we have, I mean, OCT is the regulator, they represent the public interest, okay? We represent teachers. So let's, let's make sure your listeners have that delineation clear. So, you know, in terms of OCT, they don't, you know, they don't speak for teachers, they don't speak for the profession, they speak you know, theoretically for the public interest. So that's, mm. that's the main difference between the two. Okay. I'm glad that you clarified that because something that did come up in the news, which I don't even know if teachers would even know about this. I only found out about it because you mentioned it to me about this whole recent change in the OCT governance. Um, and I was poking around and, you know, just from a quick read, uh, it seemed like back in 2021, just the way the college is governed has changed. So in short, from what I read, you know, if there was like 37 seats, you know, at OCT um, in the past, you know, at least 50% of those seats were dedicated to actual real teachers. Uh, Actually, it was more than 50%. It was more uh, than 50, right? Majority. Yeah. 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 Uh, And they would be the voice of, you know, for, for teachers representing teachers uh, at, you know, these, any of these meetings. Uh, but then recently, I guess um, there was a big change and a lot of those seats have been reduced. I think the, the number I found was nine seats now. Um, so yes, my yeah. first question is number one, why is this a big deal? Should teachers even care? Like, does this even impact our teachers? And number two, why did this happen? Like, that seems like a, a big change from over 50% to down to what nine seats out of, it's about it's about six actually right okay so why is this a big deal should teachers even care yeah it's a good question actually it's it's, i'm glad you brought it up i mean it's unfortunate that they've made those uh governance changes because i think it overall reduces the representation of not only the public but it reduces representation excuse me representation of teachers 
on their own regulator. I mean, this is the, you know, you would think that a college of teachers, at least a majority would be made up of the teaching profession. Could be administrators, could be classroom teachers, consultants, uh, whatever. But, um, you know, lawyers, majority lawyers, dentists, majority dentists, like, you know, you know how it goes. Of course. But the government in their wisdom, uh, you know, instituted these, these changes that have reduced um, not only the voice, but reduce the, uh, the voice of the public, but reduce the voice of teachers. There's now only on the new governing council of the college, only one classroom teacher uh, that is on the new governing council. So hmm. it's gone from over 14 down to one. Hmm. We don't think that's a positive change. And, you know, you don't increase, you know, participation. You don't increase the democratic process by getting rid of elections, which the college have do has done, and reducing representation, which the college has done. So we think, you know, that's the wrong direction to go. But, um, you know, it is what it is at this point. And we're hoping to establish at least a, a relationship. The chair of the college for the first time in its history is a non-teacher. Uh, it's, a, it's a lawyer. Um, again, uh, you know, you would think that the chair of the College of Teachers would be a teacher. But um, it, right now, that's not the case. So regardless, I mean, we, we, we're going to try to work with what we have. But certainly, I think in, in general terms, I think the, the, the changes in the governance of the college has not uh, been a positive one and uh, certainly doesn't you know, reflect the 160,000 teachers and certainly the public interest, which they're supposed to represent as well. So uh, disappointing overall. Right. Do, do you think there's going to be any implications for our profession or for teachers moving forward because of this change, or is it too soon to really say? Well, time will tell, but I think the more uh, educators that you have on anybody that deals with education, the better it is, because those people bring a level of expertise, a level of knowledge about the school system, about classroom, the, the, the situation in classrooms that you can't get anywhere else. And, um, you know, shrinking it down to simply one classroom teacher is, um, you know, not the right direction to go. So I think the more voices you have on, on any kind of uh, governing council, the better. And, um, you know, but that seems to be the opposite of where the college has gone. Do you know what these, like, I don't know if you've even been in these meetings before, but like, what do they talk about? Like, why is it important to have, I guess, a, well, a teacher's voice? Like, I guess, what are the things that are discussed at the very high level? Yeah, you know what? You can probably do a whole show on the College of Teachers, to be honest oh, with you. But yeah, probably. I mean, um, what they discuss are issues in education. They discuss, um, don't forget, like I said, they represent the public interest. So, you know, if there's an issue with regards to, um, you know, a, a school or a school board or something like that, they could bring that to the attention of the college. Uh, disciplinary issues, the college is in charge of discipline, uh, discipline issues. Uh, so that, that's a big part of their role. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a whole range of different things that, that they cover. But the, the, the point that we make as teachers is that, you know, the more, you know, kind of educator voice that you have on this body, I think the, the, the better it is and the more, the, the more fair it can be because you have that wide range of teachers from elementary, secondary, could be, uh, you know, educators from the faculties of education that contribute uh, rather than, you know, go from 36 down to six, which is, um, you know, a pretty, pretty, pretty big change. Right. 
switching topics, uh, we, there's so much stuff that you guys do here. So I, I just have to, I want to make sure we talk about everything here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you alluded to earlier, uh, you guys have a relationship with the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, mm-hmm. and that OTF serves as a, a voice for, for teachers within the OTPPP. So maybe if you could just go into a little bit more detail, what exactly is your relationship with the pension plan? What do you do? What do you talk about? What are you trying to, to accomplish? Uh, representing teachers um, at some of these meetings? Well, the end goal is to make sure that, you know, there's a pension there for teachers when they retire. I mean, that's the, that's the accomplishment. I would love but that. What, but what we, what we do is really we represent, you know, we meet with the pension plan quarterly uh, through the part, what's called the Partners Consultative Committee. And, you know, the plan is very upfront and they, they give us a lot of uh, good information that we can take back to our members. Um, there's different pension committees that I sit on as president. But really, you know, we represent the there's there's it's a partnership between the the employees who make their contribution and the employer that makes their contribution. And it's the the role of those partners to make sure that the plan is well is is properly funded and to make sure that there's a retirement there for people like my parents who are retired teachers and for you and me uh, potentially when it's time for us to retire. So um, that's that's the most important thing. But, um, you know. What we do as a federation is we say, look, you know, whether it's governance issues, whether it's, you know, where the investments go, we don't direct where the investments go. That's completely separate. But we can say, you know, our members value, you know, let's say, for example, you know, decarbonizing the plant, you know, moving away from fossil fuels and into more clean energy. And, you know, we've seen over the past 10 years that our advocacy has really paid dividends in terms of, you know, uh, the, the plan changing its course and going into a lot more clean energy initiatives. And that's great. And that's what it's all about. That, you know, because members want to, they not only want to have a, a strong retirement and a well-funded retirement, but they want to feel good about the investments that we make. And that's, uh, that's part of the equation as well. Right. So if teachers do have questions about their pension. And that's why we actually had an episode back in season one uh, about this. Um, who should they be going to? Should they be going to the pension plan first? Should they be going to to the OTF? Is, is it a combination? Uh, who, who's who's the person, the point person that well, teachers should go to first? Yeah, I mean, we all have, uh, you know, each union has a staff that can that can handle some some of these questions. I always say, though, because, you know, everybody's financial situation is unique. Um, they might have very specific questions that pertain to them. So I always say, start with the pension plan first, call them, and they can take you through all kinds of scenarios and answer all your questions about, you know, what XYZ might mean for um, your retirement. And that's, that's who I always say to start with. So the pension plan is, has, a, has a great customer service department. They're always rated, you know, nine out of 10. Um, so they're, they would be, they're very qualified to deal with any of those issues. Um, I know you guys also work with the teacher education programs across uh, across Ontario, and I know one of your roles is to work with these different faculties to ensure better training and experience for all the teacher candidates that are, are out there. So I, I'm actually curious to hear from from you. You know, after being several years of moving into this two year education program now to get a B Ed. Are you personally happy with some of the changes and what you've seen um, now that I guess what we've been almost 10 years, eight years out uh, into this new program structure? What are your thoughts about uh, this change 
about less than 10 years ago now. Yeah, I mean, working with the faculties is actually a big part of what OTF does. And we have a great relationship with a lot of faculties. I know you and I are both Western grads. So, uh, you know, we have a great relationship with Western as well. But in terms of the two-year program, I think, you know, just to take your, your listeners back a little bit, um, that, that was originally kind of an idea of the previous Liberal government to, to expand the program from one to two years. And uh, at the time, we warned them and we said, look, you know, that's fine, but, you know, expanding the program and reducing the amount of, of admissions to the faculties is going to create a shortage down the road. And sadly, we, we've, you know, that's come to pass in, in the recent years in Ontario. So one of the things that we really need to look at, and I've, I've really called on the minister and the government to look at, is a, is a long-term solution to the supply and demand issues for Ontario education. Because we want to make sure that there's enough teachers in the pipeline coming, new teachers coming on into the system to replace those that are retiring or, or leaving the profession or whatever. So uh, that's that's a balance that we need to really kind of get right. Uh, some of the things that we can look at is the two-year program. Is it, you know, is it a good idea? It, does it have to be two years? Can it be, you know, 18 months, a, a combination, you know, whatever. Uh, look at the admissions to the faculties, you know, how many were, were um you know, we're accepting. And then also, you know, let's get the numbers right. Let's make sure that we have a, a process in place where we can gauge how many teachers will need and how many teachers will lose. So we're not in this situation again. We need to make sure we come up with a, a system where we can we can accurately depict what the supply and demand is going to be. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember when I was in uh, in my training, I remember vividly our prof was saying, guys, no one's getting a job. <laughs> and it was like a, it was a tough time getting a job back then. It was too much supply of teachers and not enough, uh, you know, roles and jobs out there. And it's interesting that now 10 years later, we're kind of in this position where we don't have enough teachers. Probably, I don't know if the pandemic has something to do with it, uh, but you're right. It's, it seems like there is this shortage and it's causing a lot of issues going back to our earlier conversation. Yeah, I mean, it, you're it, you're quite right, and we want to make sure we get the we get the balance correct because you have to remember, right? You know, around 5,500 5, teachers retire every year in in the province of Ontario. So we want to make sure that we have those numbers correct, and we have those numbers. You know, we have enough teachers that are coming online to replace the ones that might leave, or or other demands. You know, population growth. You know, you need more teachers for uh, you know certain areas. Uh, so that that's uh, that's really important because it's not you know it's not good to have a shortage. But it's also not good to have too many. You want to make sure that balance is there, and that's what really I'm, I, I've, I've asked the government that they, they, they really need to turn their heads to that and, and uh, find a solution. Yeah, that's a hard one to fix, definitely. Um, are there any other changes that you would like to see in our faculty of education? Is there something that uh, that's being worked on right now? Anything in the works? Uh, what changes would you like to see personally? Well, I mean, every faculty is different, right? I mean, every faculty, you know, they they have their own needs and their own level of, uh, you know, admissions, uh, in terms of, you know, what each one, each one is its own kind of separate entity. The main thing is that we need to make sure the faculties are working together and, and, and speak to not only the, the need for teachers, but also speak to the, the fact that, you know, we need to make sure that there's a, enough teachers that are coming into the system, um, to support the needs of Ontario and to support student needs. You know, because right now, as you know, as we've said, 
uh, there is a shortage and it's, and it's, it's not getting any better. Uh, Chris, I'm looking at the time. I feel like I could go on and on and on with you to talk about so many different things. Uh, we should definitely wrap things up over here. Uh, so maybe to wrap things up, uh, we obviously weren't able to discuss everything today in terms of what's under the OTFs portfolio. Uh, is there anything you would like to add to this conversation, letting our listeners know what else does OTF do? Um, you know, what are some of the issues and problems where, you know, if teachers are having them, they know that uh, OTF's their, their organization to go to? So many things to say, uh, Ronald, but I mean, one of your, one of your kind of your questions, your guiding questions for this broadcast was, you know, what value does OTF provide teachers? And I think, you know, it, for, as you know, teachers pay their union dues and out of that union dues, $30 and 40 cents goes to OTF. And with that money, OTF provides all kinds of resources, whether it's resources on school safety, parent engagement, we have a curriculum forum, we have resources on financial literacy that teachers can use. Uh, we have webinars and math support. All that's on our website. All that stuff is free. And it's all available to teachers, whether it's, uh, you know, lesson planning or, or all, you know, different types of PD. Um, it's, it's all there. So and, and not only that, they get world class advocacy and uh, a pension plan that um, is going to be there for when they retire. So I think for thirty dollars and 40 cents per year, uh, I think that's a pretty good bargain. And I, I think that, uh, you know, every teacher should not only look at OTF. But every teacher should also look at their own local union because that's what that's what I did. I was a new teacher, started to get involved in the union, and it really changed uh, the direction of my career, obviously. And because there's so many opportunities to meet teachers from your, all over your district, all over the province, and to get it, to engage in not only PD opportunities, but there's great social opportunities, and um, and it's all there as part of your dues. So that's why I say, you know, access it and use it to, uh, and, and use it to get involved. Yeah. You know, you bring up a point there. I want to follow up on uh, if there are teachers out there that are listening and, you know, aspire to get really heavily involved with the union, you know, who should they talk to? Where can they go for more information? Uh, how did they get involved with the union? Well, it all, it always starts with your staff rep. Every school has a staff rep and they can ask questions to their staff representative uh, there's certainly, and every, every, uh, you know, area has a local, uh, executive or a local, uh, like, you know, let's say a local, uh, unit, we call them units, some call them districts, some call them just locals. Uh, but that's where you start with, uh, with those kind of things. So, you know, you go and talk to your local, you might want to get involved in a local committee. Uh, you might want to get involved in a local social event or, uh, something else that's coming up. I'm talking about normal times. I know we're in a pandemic, everything's changed, but certainly, um, you know, there's an opportunity to get involved and go to different provincial meetings and provincial PD opportunities and uh, get involved politically uh, to make sure that we continue to fight for not only our profession, but for the students of Ontario. And that's, uh, that's one of the great things that uh, about education is there's, there's so many roads you can take. And I really invite your viewers to, or not your viewers, but your listeners to, uh, you know, take a look at your, take a look at their union and, and uh, consider getting involved. That's awesome. And finally, uh, where can teachers find you or OTF on social media? Are you guys on Twitter, Instagram? Are you guys on TikTok? Uh, where are you guys at? <laughs> uh, no, we are obviously, uh, our website is there. It's, uh, but in terms of social media, OTF FEO, uh, on Twitter, my Twitter handle as president is at OTF Prez, P-R-E-S, uh, F-E-O. 
So it's a little bit, you know, we'll make sure we'll put, the link in there. we'll put the link yeah, in the show. Put the notes. link, Google my name. Uh, it'll, it'll pop up, but yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's a great way to stay involved and to stay, uh, stay up to date on, on, on the important issues. That's incredible. Uh, and finally, uh, what's coming up uh, on your plate, uh, Chris, what are some of the things that you're tackling right now in your role as president? Well, we're like, you know, we've talked about, we've, we've talked about the college of teachers. So there's that, uh, coming up, uh, a lot of stuff coming up with regards to, um, you know, Making sure you know the, the teacher shortage, and uh, just uh, you know we're, we're gearing up for our spring board of governors meeting, which is coming up in a in a month or so. Well, not not a month or so, but we're we're gearing up for the spring board of governors, which is where all the governors from the four affiliates come together to discuss issues and and celebrate our achievements as well, and celebrate important people that have made contributions to uh, education in Ontario. So, looking forward to that. But there's there's always in, in education, there's always something new, and every time you open the news, uh, it's it's always something um, something exciting and, and something different, and that's why it's uh, it's such a great role to be in. I, I learned so much. That's fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening today to to chat with with me and all our listeners. Uh, this was, like I said, I, I knew nothing about. OTF going into this. I'm not unionized. I'm learning about this all on my own right now. And uh, to be able to chat with you today was was an absolute pleasure and a big learning moment for me. Thank you for the invitation, Ronald. And, uh, you know, best wishes to uh, you for the rest for season two, I guess. You're heading into season two. Season two. We're working on it right now. Once this comes out, uh, we'll be in full-blown season two mode and uh, check it out, everyone, Uh, which is a great transition. Yes, absolutely. Number one, everyone, hit that subscribe button. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, thank you so much. And and thank you to all of our listeners out there for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook. And, of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, Google, and any other streaming sites. Folks, we'll see you all next Monday. Woo!